Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are red, reflecting back the warm glow of happiness of the red states that lie beneath them. Across the U.S. South and up through the West and the Midwest, those states uh, that seem to be close to reaching certain American conservative ideals of governance. States where taxes are lower, regulations are lighter, unions are weaker, frackers are freer, and gun rights are a given. What's not to love about life in a red state? Unless you are a blue state type. So let's have it out right now. Yes or no to this statement. For a better future, live in a red state. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. I am proud to be here with the Philanthropy Roundtable as our partner. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two. They will argue for and against it. For a better future, live in a red state. Our debate goes in three rounds, and then you in the audience vote to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Let's meet our debaters. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, on the side arguing for the motion, they are for the red states, let's welcome Hugh Hewitt. And Hugh, you are a professor at Chapman University Law School. You are host of the radio show that is named after you, the Hugh Hewitt Show. Uh, and you are on the fore side of this debate. You are for the red states, but you live in California, a blue state. So have we booked the wrong guy? Oh, right guy, wrong wife. Uh, I married a Marine Corps brat who grew up on Camp Pendleton and wasn't leaving. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Hugh Hewitt. And Hugh, your partner is? The undefeated, untied, and always charming Stephen Moore. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Moore. <laughs> Stephen, you are also arguing for the motion for a better future live in a red state. You're a member of the editorial board and a senior economics writer for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Steve, you are based in Virginia. Uh, a state that actually went for President Obama in 2012, but we're going to call it a red state. It has a Republican <laughs> governor, so, a Republican <laughs> majority house, the Senate with a Republican tie-breaking vote. So, question to you is, if you were forced to leave Virginia and had to move to a blue state, which one would it be? On a day like today, with a beautiful view of the ocean, how could I not say California? <laughs> oh, you're just playing to the crowd here. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Moore. Our motion is for a better future, live in a red state. We have two debaters arguing against it. They are for the blue states. First, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Gray Davis. Gray Davis, the 37th governor of California. You have also served as lieutenant governor, state controller, state assemblyman. You have spent most of your life in California. Uh, your family moved here from New York when you were a kid. You even went to Stanford. But I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Steve. If you had to move out of your comfort zone into a red state, which one would it be? Well, first of all, I agree with Steve. Why not <laughs> live in California? It's such a fabulous place. But I just came back from Sea Island, Georgia, where we had a family reunion. That's a beautiful state. I'd be somewhat under duress, but if you force me to leave, I'd say Sea Island, Georgia. <laughs> all right. We have one vote for Georgia. Ladies and gentlemen, Gray Davis. And Gray Davis, your partner is? My partner is the esteemed Michael Lind, uh, who will uh, dazzle us with facts and argument. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Lind. And, Michael, you are also arguing against the motion for a better future live in a red state. It means you're arguing for the blue states. You are co-founder of the New America Foundation. Uh, you're also policy director of its economic growth program and next social contract initiative. You are a fifth-generation native of Texas. And you have already said that when it's all over, you're going to go back there to retire. But being a blue state kind of guy, I just want to know, why would you do that to yourself? Well, in the words of the late Molly Ivins... 
I dearly love the state of Texas, but consider it a harmless perversion to be discussed only among consenting adults. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Lind. Thank you. Here they are, our four debaters. Now, this is a contest. It's a contest of ideas, and there will only be one winner because you, our live audience, by the time the debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote twice, once before the debate and once again afterwards, where you stand on this motion, for a better future, live in a red state. And the team whose numbers have changed the most in percentage point terms will be declared our winner. On to round one, opening statements from each of our debaters in turn. And here to speak first for the motion, Stephen Moore, a member of the editorial board and senior economics writer for the Wall Street Journal. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Moore. Let me, let me make a few points about why this is such an important topic and why, uh, for a better life, you should move to a red state. And I would start with one observation, which is that over the last 20 years, um, we've seen in America the biggest shift in wealth in the history of this country. Um, We've also seen a massive uh, change in population of where people are living, and this has had profound impact in terms of where the growth is in this country and where it's not happening. And so if you look over the last 20 years, there's been um, about 30 to 40 million people who've moved addresses, moved from one state to another. And over that same time period, um, about $2 trillion of, of wealth and income have moved from one state to another on net. And If you look at those statistics and you look at where people are moving to and where people are moving from, it is incontrovertible that people are leaving blue states and they're moving to red states. Now, some of this, of course, is due to things like weather, but it's happening all over this country, not just uh, moving to better weather states. In fact, if you look at the statistics, an amazing statistic about California, and I agree agree with Gray Davis, what a wonderful state this is. Uh, Over the last five years... One million jobs, roughly, these aren't exact numbers, but roughly one million jobs have been lost in California. And over that same time period, one million jobs have been gained in the state of Texas. Now, I would submit to you that people are not leaving places like Los Angeles and San Diego to go to Houston for the weather. (laughs) They're not doing that, right? They are moving there because that's where the opportunity is. That's where the jobs are. uh, That is where the kind of free enterprise systems flourish. And by the way, just to continue with this Texas-California comparison, because I think we'll make this a lot throughout the debate, because Texas is a prototypical red state and California is a typical blue state. Um, Second point uh, to make that that you should all ponder. We are living through right now... um, what I call the biggest kind of political, cultural, and economic divide in this country, perhaps any time since the Civil War. And what you're seeing, to put it very simply, if you look at the last few elections, is that the red states are getting redder and the blue states are getting bluer. And then you ask the question, why are people moving from blue states to red states? Now, the two biggest factors, according to all the academic and economic research, are, are number one, if a state is a right-to-work state, that is, that they do not force unions in their state and allow every worker to have the right to choose whether they want to join a union or not, those states are flourishing. And, you know, one of the fun things about working at the Wall Street Journal, we talk to business owners all the time. They, they always tell us when they're talking about setting up a new plant or a new warehouse, uh, the first question they ask about a state, where they are going to locate, is, is it a right-to-work state? 
no matter how many other kind of incentive systems they might have to move there, if you're not a right-to-work state, you're just not in the game to get these new enterprises. By the way, people are always talking about America losing its uh, auto industry and auto jobs. You know, America's not losing its auto jobs. That's not true. It's just the auto jobs aren't in states like Ohio and, and Michigan anymore. The auto jobs are now in the South. The second factor that matters a whole heck of a lot uh, is whether a state has no income tax or low income taxes. And we find this to be highly predictive of where people move. States like uh, Texas, states like Florida, states like Tennessee, states like Wyoming, states like Nevada, uh, states like Washington. Those states over the last 10, 20, 30 years, no matter what kind of period you want to look at, have been producing about two to three times as many jobs per year as the nine or ten states that have the Stephen Moore, your time is up. Thank you very much. Our motion is, for a better future, live in a red state. And our next debater against the motion is Gray Davis, the 37th governor of California. He is currently of counsel at Loeb & Loeb LLP and a senior fellow at the UCLA School of Public Affairs. Ladies and gentlemen, Gray Davis. Thank you, John. Uh, Thank you, Intelligence Square. Thank you so much for hosting this. And I want to welcome my... uh, esteemed colleagues, uh, both for and against this proposition. Uh, As uh, Steve indicated, this red state, blue state deal is really not so much about geography as it is about a state of mind. And those of us in the blue states uh, have a different idea about economic development. We believe John Kennedy had it right when he said, a rising tide will lift all boats, because we try and provide economic opportunity for everybody. And we do that Uh, with four simple ideas. One, invest in education, invest in infrastructure, protect the environment, and have a stable safety net. We think that all makes economic sense. We think it is morally the right thing to do. And the numbers prove that we are right. If you look at the top ten states by average income, nine, nine are blue, one is red. If you look at the top 10 states by gross domestic product, eight are blue, two are red. If you look at the bottom 10 states by uh, domestic product, nine are red, one is blue. Beyond just economics, if you live in a blue state, you're going to live longer, you're going to be healthier, you're probably going to have a college degree, and you're going to have more opportunity. Now, Let me uh, talk a little bit about California, which is definitely a blue state, but but was not before 1992. But today, it is really a blue state. Despite what our critics say, these are indisputable facts. California has more Fortune 500 companies headquartered than any other state, 54. California is the leading manufacturing state by far in America, both by jobs and total dollar output in 2011, $230 billion. California is the largest agricultural state in America by dollar output. California created more jobs last year than Texas and more jobs in the last year than anyone in the nation. Most importantly, people believe in California and they invest their dollars. California gets more direct investment from other countries than any other state. And this is the statistic that's going to blow your mind. On venture capital, that's people putting their money in startups, 
In 2011, the last year we have statistics for, California got more venture capital than all the other 49 states put together. And it got more money from foreign countries investing in California. So people are putting their money where they think they can get the best return, and they believe that best return is in California. My point is to live well, to be healthy, to have more opportunity to be better educated, you want to live in a blue state. Vote no on the proposition that someone has to force you to move to a red state to live well. Thank you, Gray Davis. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. Stay with us. And here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, for a better future, live in a red state. You have heard two of the opening arguments, and now on to the third. Here to debate for the motion, for a better future, live in a red state, host of the nationally syndicated radio talk show, The Hugh Hewitt Show, and a professor at Chapman University Law School. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Hugh Hewitt. Thank you, John, and uh, thanks to the Philanthropy Roundtable for hosting us today, and to my colleagues, both uh, wrong and right. uh, It's good to have you here. If your son or daughter approaches you and says, Mom, Dad, my company, the military, has come to me and said, I'm getting moved one more time. They're in their 20s, and they're going to drop me into a blue state or a red state. I get to pick blue or red. I don't get to pick the city. I don't get to pick the state. I don't get to pick rural or urban. I just get to pick blue or red. Four reasons to say to them, son or daughter, red. Number one, when you get there, you're going to want to buy a house. California is 200% above the median cost of an average house in America. New York is 150%. Highest mortgage debt is in California. Highest mortgage debt is in the District of Columbia. You want your child to be able to buy a house and begin that American dream? Send them to a red state. Number two, you're going to want them to have kids, right? Guess where people are actually having families and babies? The top 10 most fertile states are red. The 10 least fertile states are blue. But more importantly, actually, that's just an indication of other things. Volunteerism is spread out evenly across red and blue states, but not charitable given. As you will know, nine out of the 10 most charitable states in the union are red. What's that an indication of? Religiosity. And not merely checked off religiosity, but genuine confirmation of religious belief. Uh, Number three, though, think about the number of times you've pulled into a gas station. It's a good proxy for the practical cost of living. Gas prices are phenomenally lower in red states. So there's some reasons for that. Proximity of refinery, production of the basic material, bigger in red states. Red states are energy productive. And then finally, those grandchildren of yours are going to need to be educated. Who's doing the best? The most underprivileged kids when it comes to education are African Americans and Latinos. The most important manifestation of educational success is bringing the bottom to the middle. The most important element of that is math, and the most important grade is eighth. That is the turning point where the skill set transfers over into the employment probability and possibility of those children. In the NEAS, the state that is now number two that has made the most progress over the last decade is Texas. For blacks and for Latinos, they have rocketed up. Why is that? It's because education innovation is occurring in the red states. Why is that? because they are not in the death grip of special interests that prevent the exploration of the new and the effective. 
Michael will come up and bring up SAT scores or ACT scores, and I will give him that. They're higher in the blue states. You've got some legacy investments in the blue state. You've got some wonderful cultural advantages. You might be thinking, I want my grandchild to live in San Francisco. No, you don't get to pick that. They're just going to go, red or blue. And if you really want to think that through, you're going to pick red every single time. Thank you. Thank you, Hugh Hewitt. Our motion is, for a better future, live in a red state. And here is our final debater. He will be speaking against this motion. Michael Lind, a co-founder of the New America Foundation, where he is policy director of the Economic Growth Program and the next social contract initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Lind. The motion is, uh, for a better future, live in a red state. Uh, As a native Texan, I would love to endorse this motion. Uh, Texas does indeed lead California and much of the rest of the country in a number of indices. Uh, It's number one when it comes to barbecue. Uh, It's number six when it comes to housing affordability, and I suspect this will come up again and again and again, because one of the issues among us is the relative importance of housing affordability as opposed to personal income taxes and business taxes in explaining migration. Uh, So that's the good news. Here's the bad news uh, for the state of Texas and why it is not indeed surpassing California, New York, and other leading blue states. Uh, Texas is number one in uninsured adults. It is number 50 in high school graduates. Uh, When it comes to uninsured children, Texas is number two. Uh, Texas, on a scale from one to 50, is number 49 when it comes to prenatal care for pregnant women. So, yes, more women are pregnant, uh, but they get absolutely abysmal prenatal care compared to most of the uh, blue states. Uh, Just a couple more points on what uh, Stephen raised. He said that $2 trillion has moved across state lines in the last 20 years. Well, the average uh, GDP in the U.S. annually is is, uh, $14, $15 trillion, if I'm not mistaken. So by my uh, off-the-envelope calculations, that's less than 1% of GDP over the last 20 years. This is not a terribly strong argument for their side. Uh, The amount of migration from California to Texas is also very easy to exaggerate. Between July of 2011 and July of 2012, a grand total of 22,000 more Californians moved to Texas than Texans moved the other way. We're talking about less than 0.01% of the U.S. population in every case. What is more, if if you look at the uh, red states in general where the greatest growth has taken place, uh, it's in this uh, energy corridor where, thanks to fracking, Uh, from the Balkan uh, Shale up in in, uh, the Dakotas all the way down to Texas to the Eagleford Shale, uh, you see a a tremendous explosion of energy, lowers energy prices, it helps manufacturing, all of that. That is an accident of geography plus regulatory and and technological factors. Uh, If the blue states who have energy resources like California and New York were actually to... uh, with some environmental safeguards to emulate uh, these uh, red states, you would see enormous amounts of wealth pouring into the blue states on top of their advantages. So uh, the basic question, uh, uh, I think, is not which states are picking up the most people or the most footloose corporations, but where are you most likely to have health care, to have decent education, to graduate from high school, uh, and to have quality of life if you're in an ordinary high school-educated, working American? In in that case, I think the answer is clear. You would rather be in a blue state than a red state. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Lind. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. 
where our motion is for a better future, live in a red state. Keep in mind how you voted at the beginning of the debate. We'll be asking you to vote again at the end of the debate and reminding you again that the team that changes the most minds will be declared our winner. Now on to round two. That's where the debaters address each other directly and answer questions from you in the audience and from me. We have two teams of two arguing for and against this motion for a better future, live in a red state. Hugh Hewitt and Stephen Moore are arguing for the red states. They argue that uh, we already see the evidence that the American population is making this decision with its feet. Um, They say the reasons people are moving, they're moving uh, for the right to work, attracted by uh, lower income taxes, by the ability to buy homes, that there are indicators like fertility, which is on rampage in the red states, and that all in all, the message is the dynamic is moving very much in the favor of the red states. The team arguing against them, Gray Davis and Michael Lind, argue by bringing forth a a set of statistics that show us a snapshot of all sorts of advantages already accruing to residents of blue states. Blue states have higher average income. People in blue states are living longer. They are more likely to have a college degree and to be healthier. And they dispute the notion that people are moving to the red states for uh, benefits such as lower income taxes. So I want to take... a question to the side that's arguing against the motion for the blue states. As I did just point out, you presented uh, uh, Gray Davis and Michael Lind arguing for the blue states, a snapshot of of several ways in which already, uh, if you're in a blue state, you're better off for various reasons. Your opponents, I think, are arguing about a dynamic uh, as opposed to a snapshot, that the trend is going in the direction of the the red states. And I want to ask you, Michael Lind, to take that on. Yeah, two points about the trend. First of all, the question before the audience is not whether it will be better to live in a red state 30 or 40 or 50 years from now as a result of present trends, but right now. The second uh, aspect is what we're really talking about is the southern model versus the northern model. That is, the Great Plains have 9 million people. The county of Los Angeles has 9 million people. This is largely certain Midwestern states and, and the south. The low-wage, low-public-service, low-tax southern model, including states like Texas, that's been the model since before World War I. A hundred years ago, there was a big achievement gap on all of these same statistics between the southern states and the northern states. There's still a big achievement gap. But So that's, I would turn it into a question to them. What date are we talking about? Because if it's 2013, you get a different answer to the question than in 2035. And what leads you to believe that another 100 years of low-wage, low-tax, smokestack-chasing, luring companies from other states, which Mississippi has been doing for a century, is going to do any better than it has done in the last century? Stephen Moore. Here, Here is my argument. You are exactly right. This is a North versus a South phenomenon. And you know what's happening in America today? We are witnessing the rise again of the South. There is no question about it. And in fact, if you want to go to a place where the, the future is happening, you don't go to Detroit, you don't go to, uh, you don't go to Albany, you don't go to New York City, you go to places in the South. And it's very likely uh, that, in, in my opinion, in 10 years, in 10 years' time, because of the huge growth of no-income tax states, the entire South... In, within 10 to 12 years, will be a no-income tax region. Great Davis. Now, how in the world, is, how in the world are the Northern Steve, let's bring states in going to compete against that? I want to make two points. Yeah. First of all, uh, people vote with their feet. All the panelists here live in a blue state. Even Steve's tenuous connection with Virginia, I would argue, Obama carried Virginia. They got two Democratic senators, and clearly New York and D.C. are, are blue. California has 38 million people almost as many people as Texas and New York combined. That's 38 million people voting 
to be here. Secondly, the future. California is the future. Do you have an iPhone? Do you use Google search? Google is 14 years old. The iPhone is maybe 10 years old. Twitter is six. Uh, we have great technology companies because in this state, we take a different view toward the future. In the East where I was born, after you're educated, you want to join a company. In California, you want to start a company. Hugh Hewitt, what do you do with, with Gray Davis's statement in his opening remarks that California has more Fortune 500 companies than any other state today? Does that impress you? No, because trajectory is all that matters here, not static uh, uh, snapshots. In fact, the governor and Michael remind me of Steelers fans. Just wait until the 70s. They're always ready for the <laughs> 70s to come back. And to argue these statistics, you've got to project forward. And we're not just dueling statistics. I would point out for the purposes of the debate, Michael conceded the most important statistic, which is home ownership. He also attempted to make the argument, I wanted to point it out so that the audience can test it, that he doesn't really think that matters. I've never met a young couple for whom the acquisition of their first home did not matter. Texas is making that happen for people. The one statistic that I'm going to hope Steve responds to, because I actually don't know how to respond to it, is that venture capital is flowing in. I believe that's because information workers here are not unionized, and they do not have to worry about the right-to-work advantage of the South, so that they can go to Google and the, and the center of gravity up there. On the other hand, I think that creates hyper-wealthy superclasses, not the sort of people that you want uh, that, that will benefit from a thriving middle class such as you would find in Texas, the energy states. I, I, if I, if I just let like Michael Linda actually okay. come in and respond to that. Yeah, I, I didn't mean that housing and affordability is not important, uh, but the point is the one-time, once-in-a-century housing asset bubble that took place in the blue states, in, in Britain, in Spain, in the various other parts of the world, that greatly inflated the cost of living uh, in the blue states for macroeconomic reasons, which had nothing to do with policy uh, on one way or another. As So what, what you seem to be suggesting is, Yes, we'll accept these other uh, legacy features, uh, which are, are detrimental uh, in the blue states, I mean, I mean the red states, uh, worse uh, educational outcomes, worse health outcomes, and all of that, but you get bigger houses. But, but Michael, if, if that's going to be your argument, that is a tragic trade-off where you have to trade cheaper housing for worse health care and worse education. You shouldn't have to trade But, that. Michael, in terms of a dynamic, uh, in terms of education, your opponents pointed out that in Texas, for example, that, that, that scores are rising among minority students, that, in fact, the things are moving in the right direction very rapidly, and then in the blue states, the reverse is happening. And that's a very compelling argument. That's think. not the case uh, in general across the blue states, and certainly not across the red states. They, they cherry-picked one statistic. Uh, if you look at graduation rates, for example, the number of blue states uh, with uh, a percentage of adults uh, 25 to 34 with a college degree, the top are Massachusetts, uh, North Dakota, Minnesota, New York, New Hampshire, California, Iowa, etc. Only North Dakota is a red state. Of the bottom 10, there are only two blue, uh, blue states in the bottom 10 in right. terms of education. So, Stephen Moore, is your side's education argument undone? Look, um, you have to then defend the schools in the inner cities, right? I mean, how do you explain the abysmal schools in Detroit, in Chicago? Poverty in and York, inequality. In Boston. I mean, the, the inner city, and, and this is really, I think, one of the fundamental flaws of their argument. One of the things I'd warn you of is that if you want to move to these blue states, you know, one of the things that they have in those blue states that we haven't even mentioned yet is 
gargantuan unfunded liabilities in their pension. You want to talk about the legacy costs. Look at the legacy costs of these blue states. So if you were to move from a red state to a blue state, you are basically condemning yourself and your kids to have to pay a huge amount of your taxes just to pay for the cost of the last 20 or 30 years for retired public workers so you say, where you get nothing in return for your taxes. You're saying the blue states are doomed. I actually, I think, look, the blue states either have to change or die. Greg Davis. Yeah. Listen, uh, I I believe you have to prove your worth every day. And I give my opponents credit for pointing out some modest increases uh, in uh, uh, performance in Texas and other states. But in California, 33 percent of the uh, residents have a college degree. In Texas, 25 percent. Hugh Hewitt. I want your vote. And I want your vote uh, based on this thought. When, when Stephen illustrates, what he's talking about is the inability of California to change its institutions. It's, they're not doomed. They are bankrupt. They are functionally bankrupt. And the inability to change is because there are supermajorities in the state legislature, and this occurs in New York and in Massachusetts and in other doomed blue states, to bankruptcy. And, Michael, one quick response. We don't have to worry about those uninsured, right? Didn't Obamacare fix that? Let's hear from Michael Lind. Well, I'm not here as a partisan Democrat or a defender of the president. Uh, I I am a defender of the interests of the ordinary people of the red states uh, who are overwhelmingly uh, working class and poor. What we have heard from uh, Stephen uh, is that if you are a wealthy enough person to be concerned about progressive income taxation, uh, it's better to live in a red state. Uh, If you're a business whose business model is not based on R&D, and it's also not a locally based thing like Starbucks that has to be done there, but it's a footloose business that depends on non-union labor, like labor-intensive chicken plucking, for example, uh, in that case, you'd be better off in a southern red state than in a northern or western blue state. I agree. That's why Arkansas leads the world in labor-intensive chicken plucking. Let me take something. One, one, one more point about the taxes. Yeah. If you were poor in Texas, you pay 12% of your income in taxes. If you're rich in Texas, you pay uh, 3%. Now, what kind of society is it where the poor people pay four times as much of their income as the rich people? But that has a cost, too, in addition to housing affordability. Michael, you just said that the middle class people are are moving to Texas. So if it's so horrible they're in Texas with the taxes, why do they move there? And the answer to that question, by the way, is J-O-B-S, that three-letter word that Joe Biden always talks about. The jobs are in those states, Let's and hear, that's where they're I moving. I want to hear Michael's... It's a great question, actually. I don't want to hear Michael's answer to it, too. Yeah, and the answer to that is F-R-A-C-K. They are not moving. Uh, you are not seeing California and New York and Massachusetts emptying out to go to the flourishing uh, business districts of... Uh, uh, Arkansas and of uh, Mississippi. So, Gray Davis, if you'd like to respond to that. Yeah, two things. Uh, Why do so many people live in blue states? Are they all misguided? Are they all uh, getting it wrong? They live there because they have more opportunity, they make more money, they're healthier, uh, and they enjoy their lives more. Do we have high taxes and regulation? Yes, but the outcomes are positive, otherwise people would move. The fact is blue states are the makers Red states are the takers. Almost every red state in America gets more than 100. No, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean that in the sense of Romney, because Romney uh, was talking about who takes, who makes the blue states produce GDP. The red states get more money back from the federal government than they send 
to Washington. For example, Texas ranks 11th in, in money back from the federal government, California, 32nd. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. Ma'am, your question. Uh, The question is for Michael and your contention that Uh, What we're seeing is no different than the historical uh, difference between northern and southern states or the blue and the red states. Um, Jonathan Haidt in his book, The Righteous Mind, makes the point, and he's a liberal Democrat, that the great problem with the liberal project is that it starts with very good intentions but never sees the unintended consequences and costs. Is it not the case that what we are finally seeing is over the time of the progressive project in these blue states, well-intended though they may be, that those chickens are finally coming home to roost, and that is what is making the difference between the red and the blue states? Michael Lind. Oh, I, I think there are deep flaws within the progressive liberal project as there are within the conservative project and, and the centrist project. Uh, but I don't think that explains the difference. Uh, the real difference, it goes back to the fact that we haven't raised yet which is this has really been two countries for most of its history. Uh, You had the slave states and then later the segregationist states, and they just fell behind. In 1900, uh, the difference in per capita income between the South and the North was greater than that between Tsarist Russia and Victorian Britain. And we've become a much more integrated nation state since then, but you just have a long way to go. Uh, And my concern as a native of the red states is that the South in particular can get trapped in a permanent semi-developed status if it has an essentially parasitic strategy of trying to use low taxes and anti-union laws to lure businesses from older, more developed parts of the country. We saw with the textile industry, this can work for a time. Once you have a global economy, there's always a Mexico, there's always a China, there's, and then if China's wages go up, you lose factories to, to Vietnam and Thailand. So I don't think any states of the Union in the 21st century can count on a, a race to the bottom where we have lower wages than you do. I think all of the states have to have a race to the top. Now, this is one of my fundamental disagreements, actually, with Michael and kind of left-wing thinking. They think it's worse to have, you know, no job at all at $14 an hour than a lot of jobs at 9 and $10 an hour. And I, I just disagree with that. We I don't think, one think of the that. problems with, you know, the, in fact, I think California just raised its minimum wage. There are a number of blue states that are raising their minimum wage. What they're essentially doing is pricing out of the market low-wage jobs. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. For a better future, live in a red state. Sir. Thank you. I'm Frank Baxter, a fourth-generation Californian. And I think that with other Californians that it's a wonderful place to live if you're rich, live on the coast. Uh, If you're poor and live in the valley where the unemployment rate is 30 percent, where less than half of the children statewide graduate from high school. And the question is, are the blue states a good place for the elite, but where the poor people are oppressed? I I want to handle that. Great, Davis. Obviously, elites will do well wherever they are. But uh, California and other blue states work very hard to see that uh, uh, children, uh, minority children, 
have advantages, have extra training afterwards, after-school programs. Is it a difficult challenge? Yes, but I don't think it's unique to blue states. It's not unique to red states. I was going to ask uh, your partner, Michael, and is that, is that phenomenon unique to blue states? And then I want to go to the side. No, and part of the problem with this debate is we have to limit ourselves to state borders. If you actually look at a county-by-county basis, what you have is very affluent blue cities, including blue cities in Texas like Austin and Dallas and Houston, which are increasingly liberal and and very, very affluent. Uh, Of course, it is the case that as areas develop, uh, then the middle class and the working class sometimes get forced out because of the cost of living. Uh, That is not necessarily a bad thing because it's better than not developing at all. So... uh, you know, to, there's, there's a downside to Northern California being uh, uh, the head of uh, the tech industry with uh, billionaires driving up prices and then driving out the middle class. But I would rather be in a state that has that problem uh, than in the other kind of state. Stephen Moore, do you want to take it on or, or move know, on to Mike? Mike? Statistics show this. You know, and by the way, unfortunately, it's not just happening now in blue states. Uh, you know, we, we are now in the fifth year of a recovery. The most animating feature of this recovery is the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Uh, by the way, I have nothing wrong. There's nothing at all wrong with people getting rich. I, someday I want to be rich myself. But, but, you know, the fact is that this has been a dreadful, dreadful recovery. But the blue states make it worse because they take Obama's policies and then add on to them, like when California raised their minimum wage. When you raise your minimum wage, you hurt your lowest skilled workers, so you make your poorest workers poor. We raise our minimum wage because we're kind of trying to lift all boats. You may think it's cool to to live on $9 an hour, but we're trying to allow people to do a little better than that. The economic literature shows that if there are bad effects, they are slight compared to the greater income the people with the new minimum wage have. Uh, any other questions coming up? Yep. Sir. Paul Merrill. I'd like to ask uh, uh, a, a question that's a little bit different play on the previous question. Uh, I'm from Utah, where we have a very strong middle class statewide. And, and so for me, I, I want to ask specifically... Does, the, does a strong middle class play into your motion? Uh, Hugh Hewitt. Uh, I, I absolutely it matters, days. and I, I default to the Catholic middle class of the 50s and 60s at Ross Dowd that wrote his wonderful book about and how it provided structure, opportunity, and growth for legions of people. And the red states have, as I pointed out in my opening remarks, the greatest amount of volunteerism, the greatest amount of generosity, the greatest amount of those indicators of community that would provide... The, the guard post for the development of a middle class. And I believe the red states provide the greatest opportunity based why, on why those objectives. Because they have the greatest number of churches, because they have the greatest number of volunteers, because they have the greatest civic involvement. They are not elites dictating to underclasses. They are middle classes prospering together. Other side? Um Yeah, if you look at the states which have the lowest extremes of inequality, uh, the biggest middle class relative to the rich and the poor, they tend to be Great Plains states where simply there aren't that many rich people and there aren't that many poor people. Uh, They were largely rural. So I don't think you can make the percentage of the population the the main criterion because the Great Plains, apart from the ones with recent energy development, have been losing population. People have been moving away from that towards uh, blue states and some red states, which are more unequal. I think the problem... The problem is also an opportunity. As your economy becomes more complex, you get more of a class system. So... If you want to live in a state in which the majority of the people around you are middle class and you don't have extremes, then you should probably go to uh, Nebraska or North Dakota or South Dakota or something like that. We have time for one more question. Thank you. I want to talk about dependency. 
Uh, folks who are receiving welfare, in general, we're talking about happiness. If you're de highly dependent on the government, it's hard for many Americans to understand how you can be happy. Could you comment on red states versus blue states and dependency and welfare? Thank you. If, in other words, if you're, if you're living in a life where you are dependent, which state offers you the better chance to become independent? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, I guess my response would be, is, is that a trick question? <laughs> Stephen because, Moore. Uh, uh, look, California has the highest uh, you know, welfare benefits. It, it used to. I don't know over the last few years, but for the, for the last 20 years or so, California's had the highest welfare benefits, and they've had incredibly high uh, dependency on welfare. We saw in the 1990s one of the great social experiments in this country where states, states like Tommy, you know, Tommy Thompson and John Engler that really changed the welfare system, put in place common-sense reforms like time limits and work for welfare requirements and get, getting people back into school, and boy, did that work. And one of the things that's discouraging is a lot of blue states are moving away from those policies. and put. I mean, you've got a lot of blue states politicians who actually think it's a stimulus for the economy to put people on food stamps, and I'm not making this stuff up. All right. Both your opponents want to speak. Ray Davis and the, then Michael uh, There are 26 states uh, that uh, refuse to participate in the health care exchanges that Obama's sending up uh, under, under Obamacare, Affordable Care Act. Of those 26 states, all but three receive more money from the federal government than they send to the federal government. In fact, here's a list of the top 10, uh, and the vast majority of this is actually uh, going to poor people because there are more poor people proportionately as part of the population in red states, particularly in the South, than they are in uh, blue states. New Mexico, Mississippi, Alaska, Louisiana, West Virginia, North Dakota, Alabama, South Dakota, Virginia, Kentucky. Some of this is farm aid. Uh, a majority of it is means-tested welfare and anti-poverty aid. So if the question is, where are benefits at the state level more generous, anti-poverty benefits are more generous in blue states, which tend to be wealthier in general. Hugh if Hewitt. you ask where the people in need of uh, anti-poverty programs are, they're disproportionately in the red states. They have more poor people. It's funny how blue and red hear differently. I heard your question as being, in what category of state, blue or red, will a poor person have a better chance of not of becoming not right. poor? Not getting on. And I believe that that is simply a function of where jobs are created, and jobs are being created overwhelmingly in red states. Ladies and gentlemen, that NPR. concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is for a better future, live in a red state. And now we move on to round three, and in round three, we will have closing statements by each debater in turn. They will be two minutes each. This is their last chance to try to change your mind. Remember how you voted before the debate. Right after this, we're going to ask you to vote again, and the team whose numbers have moved the most in percentage terms will be declared our winner. Our motion is, for a better future, live in a red state. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Gray Davis, the former governor of California. Thank you. Clearly, blue states offer opportunity, longevity, better health care, more things are possible. Do we have problems? Yes. Everything is a mixed bag. Everything has a flip side. But if your son or daughter or grandchildren are looking for a way to help change the world, to make an impact on society, to reach their highest potential, they have the best opportunity uh, in the blue states of, of the uh, Northeast, the Midwest, and the Far West. Stephen said to me privately what he said publicly. He said, my God, why would anyone live in a state other than California? 
Stephen, I wholeheartedly endorse that sentiment. <laughs> Thank you, Greg Davis. Our motion is for a better future, live in a red state. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Stephen Moore, an editorial board member and senior economics writer for the Wall Street Journal. One of the great, great... <laughs> Thank you. Um, one of the great, great things about our country is, you know, we are 50 states, you know, and, and you can choose where you live based on the policies that you agree with. And it's a wonderful thing, by the way, that you can go move to California, where you may have the policies that, that Michael and the governor like, or you can move to, to uh, red states and, and choose those. I would make the case that those are states that believe in kind of more of a free enterprise, free market system. But I would make just a couple of quick points. Just one statistic to think about. Each and every day in America for the last 30 years, 1,000 people every day have been leaving blue states and they've been moving to red states. And I would submit to you that that is prima facie evidence that more opportunity, the very kind of opportunity you were talking about, Governor, those are being created in red states for one reason or another, whether it's the energy revolution or the fact that they have lower tax rates or less regulation or right to work. I think they all contribute to that. But I would submit to you all, if you think about America's future, and, and you really have to ask your, yourself this question. Where is the future going to happen in America? Is it going to happen in Detroit? Is it going to happen in New York? Is it going to happen in Newark? Is it going to happen in Chicago? Or is it going to happen in places like Salt Lake, uh, in, in places like Atlanta, in places like Kansas City, in, states, in places like Austin? And I would submit to you the future is going to happen in the places where the free enterprise system is flourishing. That's where you want to be. Thank you, Stephen Moore. Our motion is for a better future, live in a red state, and here to summarize his position against this motion, Michael Lind, policy director of the New America Foundation's Economic Growth Program. Where? Thank you. I am from the red states. I like the red states. I would like to see California, New York, Massachusetts cut down to size. Frankly, I would, personally. Uh, I do not think in my lifetime I'm going to live long enough to see Salt Lake City and Atlanta and even Austin, my hometown, uh, be competitive when it comes to nanotech and, and breakthroughs in uh, uh, robot technology and, and world-class finance. Now, that's not necessarily the test, but if you paint this uh, picture of California and Massachusetts and New York, which have led in, in the, the economy for much of the 20th century and still do in many high-tech sectors, being emptied out as though they were East Germany and people are fleeing like boat people and so on. I just think that's a very misleading picture. Uh, but uh, I think that blue states for the foreseeable future will not merely uh, surpass the red states, but will continue to provide a model because the revealed preference, as Hugh Hewitt says, is the fact that when they move to red states like Texas, the overwhelming number of new migrants are going to blue cities like Dallas, Austin, and Houston, which as a result of this migration have become much more liberal than they were before the people moved there. Thank you, Michael Lind. Our motion is for a better future, live in a red state, and here to summarize his position in support of this motion, Hugh Hewitt, professor at Chapman University Law School and host of The Hugh Hewitt Show. John, uh, thank you. You've been an excellent moderator, very fair and rigorous, and thank you, Governor and Michael, great and worthy opponents, and thanks to Stephen, who actually made the case that I think we were done after round one. I really would like your vote, uh, and I really would because I think it would send a message. Let me tell you, in 1998, the year that Governor Davis was elected, we passed one of our propositions, Prop 10, which put a 50 cent per pack tax on cigarettes. And then that money goes back to the counties, to the boards that spend it on children zero to five to improve their health and their readiness to learn. I've served on my Orange County Prop 10 board for 15 years. The problems are staggering. 
the amount of dysfunction in the urban core, the falling behind, the inability, health problems, uh, learning disabilities, autism is skyrocketing. Here's the difference between red and blue. Blue states have sclerosis. They cannot innovate. They are in the grips of special interests that have vested interests that refuse to allow them to do things that are necessary. In order to meet these pressing new problems, which are global and transformative, you have to have political systems that will move and will be nimble and will try and innovate and experiment. You need freedom. And the freedom that I'm talking about, the freedom that Stephen Moore writes about all the time, the freedom that we all share. Everyone wants all states to succeed, right? I'm not against the blue states. I'm trying to just simply point out that if blue states want to succeed, they will adopt red state measures and red state flexibility and mostly red state freedom. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hugh Hewitt. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side you feel has argued the best. We're going to ask you again to go to the keypads at your seat and register where you stand on this motion after hearing all of the debaters present their arguments. The motion is for a better future live in a red state. While we wait for that to happen, I have a few things that I would like to say. First of all, uh, our goal at Intelligence Squared U.S. is to raise the level of public discourse And we count on the debaters to bring a style and a tone of argument to our stage in order to meet that goal. And these four debaters just did that excellently. I really want to congratulate them for doing that. All right. You have have voted twice. The results are in. Our motion is this. For a better future, live in a red state. The way this works, you voted twice. The team whose numbers have moved the most in percentage point terms between the two votes has declared our winner. Here is the result of the preliminary vote on the motion for a better future live in a red state. 54% of you agreed with this motion at the outset. 24% were against. 22% were divided. Those are the first results. Remember, you voted again. The team that's changed the numbers the most in percentage point terms is the winner. Let's go to the second vote. The team arguing for the motion, their second vote was 73%. They went from 54% to 73%. They picked up 19 percentage points. That is the number to beat. Let's go to the team against the motion. They went from 24% to 23%. They lost 1%. It means the team that's arguing for the motion, for a better future, live in a red state, has carried this debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was presented in partnership with the Philanthropy Roundtable for their annual meeting in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.